Thanks for joining us for this recording from the Southdale Church of the Nazarene in Anderson, Indiana. I'm Pastor Brad Burrow, and I'm glad you're listening. It's Advent season, and we're preparing for the coming of Jesus the Messiah with a series we're calling A Thrill of Hope. Even though at times things in our world might seem almost hopeless, Advent reminds us that God is busy making all things new. Thanks again for listening. Now here's the message. Take your Bibles, would you? Find your Bibles if you brought your Bible with you. If you did not bring your Bible, there should be one in the pew there for you. Uh, you can get on your t- phone or your tablet. We like to recommend the Version Bible app, but one way or another, Luke chapter 3 is where our text for today comes. Luke chapter 3, and I want to start reading with the very first verse of that chapter. Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 1, Luke writes, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that as we open Your Word, that You would pour out Your Spirit. I pray, Father, that You would make Your Word come alive this morning. That You'd make it sharper than any double-edged sword. I pray that You'd help me to speak the truth and help us to hear the truth today. And one more time, Father, I pray that You'd help us not assume that this message is for someone else. But open my ears, open my heart, what your spirit has to say to me and to each one of us. I ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. As I was getting ready for this morning's sermon, uh, I came across an article by a man by the name of Reverend Scott Hosey. He is, I'm told, I didn't know this, he is the director for the Center for Excellence in Preaching. So you better watch out. This is going to be an excellent sermon. I'm read up on it. But anyway, he was writing about this text from Luke chapter 3, and in it he made a comparison that stuck with me. He, uh, Scott Hosey compared the, the opening verses of this passage I just read with you to the opening scene from the movie Forrest Gump. And it was, like I said, it was a comparison that stuck with me. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's been out for a long time now. But if you'd seen it, if you have seen it, and I got on YouTube so I could watch the opening scene... Uh, if you've seen it, the, the opening credits are one of the simplest yet most cinematic opening credit sequences I think I've ever watched. The movie starts, the screen is black, and as the camera fades in, you catch a, 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 a scene, a, a, 
a vision of a cloudy sky. The camera's just pointed up into the clouds, and eventually you notice floating across the front of those gently billowing clouds a, a single white feather. And the camera kind of follows that feather as it floats. And as it does so, a succession of names appear on the screen. Names that sound important, names that even if we don't recognize them, we feel like we ought to have heard of them. Names like Robert Zemeckis and Tom Hanks and Robin Wright and Gary Sinise and a number of others. Names appear one after another. And then just as quickly they pass from the screen and from our memories. Because this story really isn't about them. Our attention follows the feather as it drifts downward towards a quiet neighborhood in Savannah, Georgia. It, it floats in front of a, of a church, a picturesque church with a tall white steeple. It almost comes to rest, first on the shoulder of a, of a commuting businessman, and then nearly comes to rest on the hood of a, of a green Chevrolet Biscayne sedan. But it doesn't land. The, the breeze catches it one more time and it, it swirls back up into the air and continues to drift until finally, until finally that feather comes to rest very gently, leaning against the muddy running shoe of the film's title character. In a lot of ways, if I were to film the opening verses of Luke chapter 3, I think that would be a fitting way to do it. For the third time in as many chapters, Luke begins his story with a list of names. A list of names that sound important. A list of names that even if we don't recognize them, we feel like we ought to know who they are. Names like Tiberius Caesar and Pontius Pilate, Herod the Tetrarch and his brother Philip, his, his colleague Lysanias. These names sound important. Yet Luke's story isn't about them. They pass from the story and from our memory because they're just the supporting cast in this story that Luke is telling. Luke's story, like the feather, floats past all of these important names. It drifts past the temple also with its tall white tower. It doesn't come to rest there not on the retired but still important high priest Annas, does not come to rest on his son-in-law and successor Caiaphas. No, the breeze of the breath of God catches the story and lifts it one more time, blowing it outward, away from Jerusalem, out into the wilderness, where it finally comes to rest at the dirty feet of John the son of Zechariah the wild-eyed, camel-skin-clad preacher out in the wilderness. Of course, Luke tells us this thread that we're following is not a feather. It's not some bit of detritus blown on the breeze. It is the Rima Theu. It is the Word of God which has come to John in the wilderness. And I suppose if we stop right there, if we took a moment here at this point in the story, we might be surprised by that development. Because if God really is trying to change the world, surely there's someone better than John to do it. 
I mean, in fact, if we were to make a, a list of the kind of people who could change the world, our list would sound a lot like the list of names that, that Luke started the story with. We would probably name people like Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Herod, or the high priest, Caiaphas. Surely someone like that could get the attention of the world and, and make God's word known. But no, the story passes all of them by. It comes to rest on John. Strange choice of a person and a strange place. Surely, if you were going to change the world, if you were going to impact the world, you'd start someplace like Rome, the capital of the empire, or Jerusalem, the holy city. But no, this story starts out in the middle of nowhere with a nobody by the name of John. The word of God comes to him. He begins to preach. Luke characterizes John's message Luke characterizes John's preaching with a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 40. John is, Luke tells us, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. And this call, we're told, is a call to preparation. The very end of that passage that Luke quotes, we're told that God's salvation is on its way. Soon all flesh will see the salvation of God. And because God's salvation is coming, we need to make ready the way. The heart of that ready-making, John says that the heart of that ready-making is, is a washing, a dipping, a dunking, a dying in every sense of the word in the waters of the Jordan River. This baptism is signaled by a dip in the Jordan it is water on the head, but it signifies a change in the heart. This baptism is carried out with water, but it is not a baptism of water. Luke tells us this is a baptism of repentance. And that's a weighty word. Repentance. That old Hebrew term, shub. Uh, that repentance, a a, a turn, prophet after prophet after prophet, and now John, as the last of them, calls the people of Israel to turn, to repent, to turn from their wicked ways, and to turn back to God. It is a turning, it is a change of heart and mind that leads to a change in word and deed. That's, Luke tells us, that's what this baptism is all about. The heart change that this baptism signifies is a turning. It's a turning away from. It's a turning away from the, the path of sin that life up until this point had followed. It's also a turning toward. It is a turning toward God and this new way of life He is revealing. It's a turning away. A turning away from all of the broken dysfunctional, disastrous choices that have led to broken, dysfunctional, and disastrous lives. And it's a turning toward this new way of living that leads to life and life more abundant. This repentance is an acknowledgement. It is a confession that caught up in the world's ways of thinking and doing and being 
we have wandered away from what we know is right and we have followed down paths that have led us deep into guilt and shame and regret. And this repentance is a decision to turn from those old paths and set out in a new direction, following rather than fleeing the leading of God's Holy Spirit. This baptism is a baptism of repentance. John preaches a water or a baptism with water for sure, but is a baptism of repentance. And in this repentance, John says, we can find release. Now I know the NIV that I read from earlier, and most other modern translations, if you're following along in a different one, I know the NIV uses the word forgiveness. It says John was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of of sins and rightly so because because when it comes to sin and the guilt that follows it the experience that repentance brings feels like forgiveness but the word that Luke actually uses here the word that's translated forgiveness literally means release it means to be set free it means to to be let go in fact, the very next chapter, John, or Luke chapter 4, in verse 18, Jesus is going to stand up in the synagogue in Nazareth and he's going to be given the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he's going to turn to another one of Isaiah's prophecies. And Luke will record as Jesus reads, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And, and in quoting that verse, Luke will use this word again. This word translated release Luke will use to describe the, the release that Jesus has been anointed by God's Holy Spirit to bring to the captives. He will use that word, release, forgiveness, to describe the freedom that Jesus has come to bring to the oppressed. That, Jesus says, is what He has been anointed by God's Spirit to do. To bring release to those held captive by sin and freedom to those who are oppressed by the guilt and shame that comes with it. In this baptism of repentance, John says, there is release. Is the way of hope. And the way of hope, John says, goes by way of repentance. If you want freedom, turn. If you want release, Turn. If you want forgiveness, turn. turn. Turn away from sin. And turn to God. And He will set you free. That's the word that bypassed the powerful and the popular. That's the word that blew right past the, the illustrious and the important. It, it passed right by the religious and the righteous. It came to rest on the prophet in the wilderness. If you need freedom... Turn, repent, you will be set free. That's the way of hope. In repentance there is release. With contrition we find clemency. With confession comes freedom. Repent, John says. God will set you free. Last week we started this series we're calling A Thrill of Hope. 
And we started towards the very end. Towards the end of Luke's Gospel, towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. If you weren't here last week, you can actually catch up. The sermon is online. You can find it on our website, or if you listen to podcasts, it's on most of those services. There's a young lady by the name of Leela, and she's not here right now, but over the next week she's going to be listening to what I'm saying. And she's been working to help us get those sermons online and, and make me sound like I know what I'm talking about. And we really appreciate all that Leela's been doing. And because of her work, if you missed last week, you can listen online and catch up. But last week we listened as, as Jesus encouraged his disciples. His disciples who were about to face a world that was going from bad to worse to even worse still. And Jesus sought to give them hope. He encouraged them. He told them that in spite of the worst that world, the world had to throw at them, they could stand up. They could lift up their heads because their redemption was drawing near. But we also said last week that this message of hope was not just a call to keep a stiff upper lift. No, Jesus said, because you have this hope, watch and pray. This kind of hope calls not just for a passive perception, keeping our eyes open to see what happens. It calls for prayerful action. That, last week, that we said was the message of Advent. This hope that calls us to watch and pray. What we didn't say last week, if you were here, is precisely what kind of action this hope calls for. Last Sunday night, we gathered back in for evening worship, and we sang, we'll work till Jesus comes. But we never really stopped to consider what kind of work Jesus is asking us to do. This week and next, John, preaching in the Gospel of Luke, John is going to help us fill in that part of the picture. Trust me, John will tell us exactly what we need to be doing. And next week we'll learn more. As we dive deeper into what John has to say, we'll find more about what we ought to be doing. But this week, John tells us the first step in obedience. The first thing we need to do to follow this way of hope, the first thing we need to do is turn. Turn away from. And turn toward. Turn, John says, and you'll find release. Repent, and he'll set you free. So what about you? What are you bound by today? Yesterday evening we had the tribute concert and had a great time. Thank you all for that. But yesterday afternoon, my family uh, also participated in one of our long-standing traditions here in the Anderson area. Um, ever since we moved here, every single Christmas, we've gone to the Christmas Carol performance over at Madison Park. I don't know if you've ever been a part of that. They've been doing it for 27 years, they said. This was their finale season, the last time. They're going to do something different next year, I guess. But this was their last one, and so we didn't want to miss it. Having gone every single year, we knew we had a concert, but we went to the afternoon matinee performance to catch the Christmas Carol. I don't know if you've ever seen even if it's not that performance, if you've ever seen The Christmas Carol or read Charles Dickens' book, uh, in the opening chapter, The Ghost of Marley, um, Charles Dickens describes Ebenezer Scrooge's encounter with the 
with the deceased spirit of, of his former business partner. And Marley shows up in the middle of one night walking and he's carrying this heavy weight, these chains that bind him, that hold him captive. If you read Dickens' book, uh, uh, Marley says, I wear the chain that I forged in life. I made it link by link. Yard by yard, I girded it on by my own free will, and of my own free will, I wore it. But Marley's not just there to talk to Scrooge about his chains. He's there to talk to Scrooge about the chains by which Scrooge is bound. Because even if you can't see them, Marley says, you are still bearing the weight of your decisions. Marley asks Scrooge, would you know the weight and length of the strong coil? that you bear yourself. It was as full and as heavy as this seven Christmas Eves ago, and you've been working on it ever since. It's a ponderous chain. You know what Dickens was on about there. Maybe you know what it feels like to bear the weight of the decisions you've made. To carry those chains and be bound by them. So what about you? What holds you captive? What binds you? And would you like release? Repent, John preaches. Repent, and he will set you free. This would be a good... Part of the service, a good opportunity for you to turn to the person sitting next to you, the person you came with, and say, that's good preaching. Don't worry, I won't get a big head because it's not my sermon. It, it, it's, it's not my sermon. This is, this is the Word of God that came to John in the wilderness. This is his sermon. And maybe when you say that this is good preaching, you also say, you know what? Uh, I really wish so-and-so was here. Because they need to hear this. Well, if you find yourself thinking that, you're in good company. Well, I don't know about good company. You're at least in ample company. Because that's how the crowds that John was preaching to would have heard this message. John came out to the wilderness and he was preaching, Luke tells us, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And baptism was not something uncommon in John's day. Baptism was not something that the Jews of John's day were unfamiliar with. In fact, they had baptistries all over the place. They called them mikvahs. Actually, I'm not sure what the plural of that would be, but they called a, a baptistry, they called it a mikvah, and there were several of them in Jerusalem. In fact, we read about some of them in the New Testament. You remember the pool of Bethesda where Jesus found that man that's been paralyzed? That was a baptistry he was laying next to. They weren't swimming laps in that pool. That was a baptistry he was laying next to. Or, or the pool of Siloam where Jesus, who remember, meets the man born blind and smears mud on his eyes and then sends him to go wash in the pool of Siloam? That was a mikvah. That was a baptistry. There were baptisms in the Jewish world in which John and Jesus ministered. These pools were set up for the 
ritual cleansing for the purification of would-be worshipers. So those who bore ritual impurity because of the things that they had done or the things that had been done to them could wash that impurity away and could go into the temple clean and ready for worship. The thing about baptism among the Jews, however, though, was that apart from the Essene community who lived out in Qumran in the wilderness, apart from them, for the most part, Baptism was not something the Jews themselves did. It was there for them so they could purify themselves, and from time to time they would, especially women after childbirth. We'll read about Mary going to purify herself and present the gift after the birth of Jesus for her purification. They did occasionally baptism, but it was not a regular part. Far more often in the Jewish culture, baptism was what someone who wanted to convert to Judaism did. When one of those Gentiles, remember last week talking about the nations, right? Those godless heathen out there. Not the people of Israel, that's us. It's the nations, those out there who don't know God and ought to. Those were the people who needed to be baptized. And so when someone would convert to Judaism, they would, they would wash themselves in the waters of the mikvah. And they would become by it a part of the people of God. And so when John is standing out there in the wilderness preaching that you need to be baptized, that good Jewish audience that, I don't know if it was a Sunday or not, but that good Jewish audience out there listening to him preach was probably thinking, preach it, John. They sure do. They need to be baptized, those godless heathens. Yet John was preaching to the Jews. He was preaching to the people of God. And he was saying, this message isn't for them out there. This is for you. You need to repent. So what about you? What about you? What's held you captive? What are the chains that bind you? Are you tired of carrying them? Repent. Turn. You'll find freedom. This has been a live recording from our Sunday morning service. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to join us, we gather for worship every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m at 530 West 53rd Street in Anderson, Indiana. You can find out more about us online at SouthdaleNAZ.com. Again, that website is SouthdaleNAZ.com. Now go into peace and be a blessing.